And I was like, do I know you? And in my head, I was like, does he want to sleep with me? And then, <laughs> and this has happened to me on multiple occasions. And it works. Well, hello. Hello. Hey. We're back. We are back after a... A long Rihanna-esque hiatus. Yeah, for is a she global... Back yet? Is we she? We don't know. She's like, she's smeared in butter right now, according to Instagram, so... <laughs> but she hasn't put out an album, has she? No, not since, like, January 2016. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, I was just making sure I hadn't missed anything. Yeah, I think she, uh, she postponed the A380 tour... Now that the, uh, <laughs> the, the seven the 737 Max tour. Oh my god, I read that article. That was crazy. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, uh, well, welcome back. We have a uh, noted Lower East Side uh, gallery thought dealer, <laughs> thought David Fuhrman, back with us on the pod this week. Hello again. Back by popular demand, very popular demand actually. That our uh, our numbers skyrocketed after his last pr- participation. Mm-hmm. The people love me. Yeah, we all love you're you. the you're the princess of hearts, <laughs> the queen of hearts, <laughs> the queen of hearts. Oh please, God. how how is everybody doing today? Doing well. It's a nice sunny, crisp day in May. Uh huh. I guess that's true. It's been so uh, unseasonably cool. I also just came back from Israel a couple of days ago. So uh, over there, it was pretty, uh, it was like an oven door left open. Well, you made it back just in time. My God, I did. Yeah. I don't even want to think about it. It's just terrible. It is. Um, How's it going, Pshamak? What have you been up to? Uh, Living my life. Uh, Finally feeling alive. The last um, three days were scalding hot. Um, wore my Tiva sandals, my Adidas shorts. Got a, um, are you, are you sponsored by these people? <laughs> no. And I'm not <laughs> sponsored by Starbucks, but I wish I was. And um, had my venti cold brew yesterday. Dropped off a of work um, for a group show that we will announce in a later episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in Berlin, and then I went to the park, lay down in the sun naked, didn't burn <laughs> my little pish check, um, had Japanese fried chicken, saw friend of the pod, Tamad Dozel. Um, you really are living your best life. Saw another special friend. Um, <laughs> special f- friend sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard about that friend. That's for the After Dark um, Patreon <laughs> special. <laughs> Coming soon. Thoughts on Art OnlyFans? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, we should oh have it. <laughs> We're top 1%. <laughs> yeah, or just an After Show uh, Patreon content. How are you? Uh, what, what have you been up to, David? You know, I opened a new show with Yenny Mao last week, uh, which was great. He's a sculptor based in Mexico City. Uh, you should check it out on my gallery website. I 
participated in the opening of the Nada House on Governor's Island with uh, Scott Covert's work and Matthew Kirk, which was on this past Saturday and was the largest social event I've attended in a year and a half. How does uh, the uh, how does the average <coughs> layman get there these days? To Governor's Island, just by taking the ferry, like usual. Oh, okay. You just have to reserve a spot this this year. Is that like limited capacity at the ferry? <laughs> Theoretically, but it was really crowded when I was on it. Okay. Well, I think you're just supposed anyway. to reserve a spot. It did, there didn't seem to be any issue with getting on one that I didn't book on the way back. Are and it looks any... really cool. It's uh, it's bigger this year. There's five houses with work and international galleries and it's a very interesting you know it's an interesting historical site and one of the houses has a plaque about being where reagan and gorbachev had their first meeting which was Mm. kind of funny is that where they kissed on the mouth (laughs) it might have been there's a video that we could consult no i think that's in berlin no did they kiss by the wall in berlin (laughs) and it wasn't reagan In Wait, my neighborhood. Who was it then? <laughs> Wait, who was it then? It was um, Eric Honecker, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Sorry, That's... I'm sure my brother, uh, friend of the pod, Bart, brother of the pod, is going to fact check this. <laughs> <laughs> Honecker, that fag. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there was. I've seen a video of them like landing on the lawn and sitting with some Christmas decorations. And it was, you know, it's funny because it's now completely i wouldn't say in disrepair but pretty much in disrepair and but was operational until the 1990s um it's funny why why would they have any like state meeting on that disgusting island well because it wasn't disgusting before and it's not disgusting now it's just kind of dilapidated it was an active military base in the middle of new york harbor where else would they have it Uh before they were going to meet at the u.n are there like nice hotels in Midtown? Yeah, but yeah, they, what about, they need to be on an island. <laughs> what about I the, don't force, know. the plaza? What about the plaza? <laughs> Gorbachev what didn't a, want to go to the plaza. What about, what about the East Village Dallas barbecue? And then you <laughs> I don't think that UN that exists. Maybe that didn't exist in 1991. <laughs> oh my God. Times were truly hard back in the day. God, no Dallas totally. BBQ. Oh my God. I, guys, I can't wait for a Henny colada when i'm there in june <laughs> jesus <laughs> i'm gonna get the for, test tube full of henny uh oh inserted into it for an artery clog or some uh, pre-diabetic <laughs> experience uh, can't wait for that kid's meal which is like um the size of a construction worker's meal <laughs> <laughs> only in america <laughs> i'm excited i haven't been to dallas bbq in about 10 years like i'm ready Oh, thank God. Well, you, you miss the chair throwing and other dramas. <laughs> I mean, that F word deserved it. So. <laughs> Is this a personal drama or a television drama? You don't remember that? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, maybe Pshema can recap it for us. <laughs> I can't, but basically... <laughs> basically, a, a pushy, pushy white gay bumped into a table... Um was a bitch and then got a chair thrown at him so this was a pushy white gay that you were at dallas bbq with no 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 it was like in the news constantly yeah it was big in the news and for like and for like a good week or two weeks or so it was turned into this whole like homophobic incident before actual like facts started coming out and then it was like oh the guy who threw the chair was also gay so yeah 
Well, you know, gay on gay crime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, David, are there any events uh, throughout the duration of the exhibition that one could <laughs> attend? Uh, I'm assuming that there are. There are a couple not a member days. I'm personally going to be planning some picnics. Um, I'm sure there will be. Not a. Uh, it's an organization that I love, but they're not the best at uh, sending out announcements very far in advance. Mm-hmm. So the most recent uh, announcement was for an event that happens next week. And it's a okay. member day. So if and you're not a member, is, you're not invited. <laughs> and this is like not close to where there were like burying people who died of COVID this past oh. year. And the, like the open pit thing. That's a totally different island, Amir. Oh, okay. <laughs> you gotta get your New York that, waterways straight. You're the one the, who gave me that book to read. Amir, that's where they had freeze. <laughs> they buried them under the tent. No, that's that's Heart Island in oh, in right. in the Sound in Pelham Bay near City Island. I mean, I don't I don't mean to make light of it. It's terrible. I just wanted to make sure it's very far away from <laughs> Governor's <laughs> Island. What what happened to the Governor's Island ball? That's what I want to know. I think, I think it's coming COVID. back this summer. I think COVID just happened, and they're going to bring mm. it back. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back like late or Who, early. Is that the fall. one where people dress up in old timey clothes? No, that's like the music festival. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like, like Dua Lipa will probably headline the next one. <laughs> the, yeah, the I keep plant. seeing that person's name and wondering if I should get involved. But <laughs> Who, Dua Lipa? Yeah, I feel like the way that I relate to pop culture, I'll find out. I'll start listening to it in five years. Well, she has um, bops. I, so. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure she'll uh, stand the test of time. Honestly, again, but her dad I will, will say, I, yeah, I will say again. I really loved her first couple of bangers, but much like uh, I don't know, like FK Twigs or something like that, the hype was like so enormous in the beginning, but they just like failed to sort of live up to it in uh, in other releases. But that's just my opinion. Um. <sighs> well. We're just yeah, we're trying to figure out this new three-way dynamic yeah. that's, that it's, doesn't involve two of us in the same room. Yeah, it's like ethical polyamory. So, <laughs> yeah, no, maybe baby. We sh- maybe we should do like a system where there's like a virtual hand raising, like like some like uh, Jewish vo- Jewish voice for peace like uh, <laughs> webinar. <laughs> I was just gonna say like a Park Slope food uh, co-op meeting where we like jangle our fingers to show approval oh i mean there there it's much more simple white people don't get to talk or they get relegated (laughs) to the end of the webinar um Uh, but david uh okay i just have to shout out david because david was just on the cover of the art section i guess the story about yeah, the Not a Governor's Island story featured the lead image was of Matthew Kirk's installation, which was uh, very exciting. Proud of you, sis. Thank I you, mean, David, sis. Y- you have to uh, you have to reveal the sec- secret sauce because every show you put on, and I don't mean to sound sycophantic or like this is SpawnCon, but every show you put on gets uh, gets a review in one of the major outlets. You know. I- the critics love me. The people love me. They everybody loves me. What can I say? Everyone's a critic. The <laughs> bottoms love you. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many movie lines going through my head. I'm like, I'm, I'm Diana Ross saying they, I'm, 
me, mahogany. They came to see me. <laughs> <laughs> or my personal favorite is Renee, Renee Zellweger in Chicago. And she's like, they love me. They really love me. Ooh, speaking of Chicago, I just saw, I left Israel the other day. And at the airport, there's these ads for the uh, Tel Aviv, Chicago line. And they themed it like Chicago the musical, only with like... <laughs> Air crew uh, with like staff. oh like the the the, the flight yeah but there the was flight, only one yeah. homosexual in the photos shockingly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you okay. know I was gonna I was gonna watch French Exit the other day but then I like I did my due diligence and like looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes and it only got like forty percent and all the reviews said we all love Michelle Pfeiffer and that's the only reason we watch this movie the rest really sucks so I I watched that movie in the theater and I will agree that the I will you know I'll I'll watch anything for Michelle Pfeiffer and I'll stand by it I enjoyed it. Ooh, yeah. we, should, we should watch Dangerous Minds when I'm in New York. Oh, classic. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah, I watched Coneheads on the flight coming back, and it was just so hysterical, and I'm embarrassed to admit that I've never seen it before. <laughs> even oh, though, you so know, I, good. Did they even I know have this. it in Israel? Um, no, we never got SNL. We got the, like, the nightly shows. Like the, we got Leno and Letterman, but SNL never made it to Israel. I think the humor was just so like cultural specific. But was SNL on at all? In, in at Israel, no. no. No, I think that's probably why. Probably because it was like an SNL skit that got turned into a film. So mm-hmm. maybe they didn't do a, like a release everywhere. Right. Uh, and then last night I started watching Coming to America, but I was just oh. like too dis- distressed with all the like oh. the, mis- the bombings and the missiles in Israel that I just could not keep focus. Well, when I'm in New York, we should do like a tour of the sites of Coming to America. Like I should, I should finish watching that. <laughs> it's he was so, so good. He was so hot. He was Eddie so Murphy. Hot. Yeah, yeah. Before he was uh, working the Sunset Strip, if you know what I mean. I mean, good for him. <laughs> I mean, he still looks good. He he did crack a little bit. Yeah, around the time he was with Mel B and knocked her up. He was oh, really good Spice. in Mean Girls. Or not Mean Girls, Dream Girls. <laughs> he was really good in Mean Girls. girls. <laughs> uh, Rachel, you're confusing him for that other black actor. <laughs> I was not. I'm just confusing my movie names. Um, I watched uh, From Here to Eternity last night. And whew, that is a good one. Wait, what is that? I mean, come on, Queens. Get with your classic film. <laughs> Montgomery Clift, Wait, Burt Lancaster. We're clicking away, typing away. <laughs> <laughs> what was, what was the artist from the first one? <laughs> Danielle Steele, Al Steele. <laughs> Danielle Steele of Steel. Real Houses of New Jersey. <laughs> uh, no, it's an incredibly beautiful movie about uh, the immediate leading up to Pearl Harbor at Schofield Barracks based on the James... Jones novel starring uh, Burt Lancaster and Montgomery Clift and Frank Sinatra and Deborah Kerr and Donna Reed. And it's Sorry, incredibly I'm beautiful. From Landing? Donna Reed was on Knott's Landing? I thought she was just on the Donna Reed show. And so, sorry, I'll have to stop you here. This podcast only deals with low culture. This sounds too highbrow. <laughs> uh, Knott's Landing is not highbrow. <laughs> it's set on a cul-de-sac, Amir. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Donna Reed probably was on Not Landing. Oh, I see Ronan Farrow's dad uh, was in it too. Yeah. Yeah. Maggio. 
<laughs> anyway, it's a really beautiful movie, and also like filming Hawaii in black and white is very—it's a very effective uh, aesthetic choice. They filmed the whole thing in Hawaii, and it's gorgeous. Well, I would like well, to share. Oh, sorry, Amir, go ahead. I was just going to ask if uh, stud or a dud, Burt <laughs> Lancaster. <laughs> oh, so hot! Oh my god! Yeah. And I need to now get delve deeper into his gay life. Mm-hmm. which was rather ornate, Baroque, perhaps is the word I should choose, uh, based what, on my cursory I, Wikipedia searches yesterday. What I don't understand about those uh, those heartthrobs from that era is that they were all so, like, uh, barrel-chested. Mm-hmm. They, they had, like, such, like, do you know the body type? The, like, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. No, to- he completely has Yeah, it's body like type. David's yeah. body type. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, David, you have my dream body type. I wish I had your body. I'm just saying. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I just lost. wish my I just wish my birthing hips were a little narrower. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, a baby would break you, Amir. <laughs> oh my god. Um, wait, should we do some uh, art talk before the FCC? Uh, that's us. Uh, I think we should. That's I think true. we have some. We already have some contention going on, so let's let's get to it. Okay, let's let's ride the wave. So, uh, two major things didn't quite happen this week, but I mean, I was away, so we might as well just talk about them now. Um, with an eye toward racial justice, Freeze New York plans unprecedented edition. Uh, for this edition, which runs May 5th to 9th at the Shed, Freeze New York will pay tribute to the Vision and Justice Project, an expansive educational initiative led by Harvard University professor Sarah Lewis that examines ways that art, in particular photography, can inform notions about race, talks, film screenings, and fundraisers for nonprofits will honor Lewis and Vision Justice. Uh, so, Freeze, Art Fair... Uh, is back or was back uh, closed uh, three days ago. I'm assuming none of us uh, went. As the only person who could have gone, I can assure you I did not. Okay. I'm not uh, a high net worth individual. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> no. I was, I was out of town. Honestly, if I was in town, I would have uh, pulled some strings to go see it for myself. I tried. Just, I, I, I pulled one string very gently i tugged out a very gentle string that didn't wasn't effective and then i gave up very quickly what was the problem like the logistic or technical oh, issue? i just it was i mean it it was all sold out because they had limited uh capacity and i just really didn't care enough to try too hard to get in I mean, I will say I uh, looked up the pictures of the uh, of the boots and the installations, like as it was happening, and it just—I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it seems like nothing changed. Like, yeah. not just. Yeah. It's. I. I was just the first impression that I that I got when I saw the pictures. I was just thinking to myself, how like after this like uh, calamitous year. Am I still like having to see the very same old like Dana Schutz painting hanging and reading about the exact same things? Like I because they I was, sold ten of those for half a million dollars each. That's why you got to see them. I know, but it's just like you know, the past year was just so eventful that at least my like lizard brain sort of expected to see something. 
different or to sort of get the notion that something had changed and I well, can't yeah, quite put my finger whole, on but that's that's the way that culture is working right now I mean this is this mirrors the kind of liberal wealthy boomer attitude towards Biden being elected where they're like oh thank god we're back to normal and yeah there's just, been a seismic shift suddenly in society and culture but uh but the people who are the gatekeepers of power and money are like okay let's just go back to exactly the way things were before we took this yeah. momentary pause and rather than seeing how things might have what have, might have been exposed by this pause, either COVID or the Trump presidency, they are just like, okay, thank God we don't have to deal with this anymore and we can just pretend that these uh, inequalities and this violence that is completely unmissable is just going to disappear again. So, it, I mean, it's not surprising that freeze would just be the same as it always was. True. <laughs> It's just that, I don't know, even on an aesthetic level, I was expecting to see something new. Well, it was the same figurative work with that text you sent me where it's like... Yeah, what was the text? It was very funny. It was like, people have really missed being around other people. So (laughs) figuration has made a comeback again. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Because they missed humans. It's like, give me a fucking break, you fucking morons. Like, seriously. Yeah, that 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 was low pathetic and uh also the way they sort of framed or structured this year's edition with an even heavier emphasis on the social justice sort of aspect and then contrasting that with seeing pictures from the fair with like such a like a ridiculous small amount of fair goers yeah. with like 70 year old white, white people billionaires. <laughs> like with posing without their masks on, yeah. looking at you, Jerry Saltz, and Hilda, whatever your name is, Jerry Gogosian. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. The most unfunny person oh. in the art adjacent Oh, my world. God. Did you see that thing where she polled her people? She's been doing a lot of Instagram Live, which I sometimes watch because I just want to hate on it. And But there was one where she did a poll thing, which was like, should I go to Freeze New York? And 80% of the people said no. <laughs> And I'm then, sorry, but che- check but your I still privilege. <laughs> but then check she was privilege. like, it is, so, it is so difficult to get a ticket. Well, then also she was like, okay, I'm going to take one for the team and expand my carbon footprint and go to freeze New York. I was like, hey, taking one for the team and flying across the country don't seem to be the same. And also nobody, every, they all said no. Uh, I have some like kind of gossip about her. Allegedly, is, the, is this is this for the Patreon uh, bit, <laughs> the recording? Uh, we can decide after. But she was approached to work, you know, in a temporary capacity. This is what I've heard. This is alleged, so I don't know if it's true. Disclaimer. But what I heard allegedly is that she wanted some crazy amount as like a day rate, basically to work a gallery booth. What's like? Give me a break. I don't know. I mean, like, of course. Like, David, would you would you pay someone tens of thousands of euro or something like no, to of work at your not. booth for a day? Of course no, not. Of course not. Particularly or even not thousands someone who a I day. No, you was wouldn't. not even a salesperson and is an idiot yeah, and is no, really like the least funny person I have encountered in a long time. 
I mean, let, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Humor, much like art, is subjective. And, like, a lot of people watch shows that I find extremely unfunny. Like and... How I Met Your Mother. Well, or yeah, like but it's par- because they're basic. I'm sorry. And she's, she's humor for basic people. People who don't really have a brain like dumb stuff. Well, she is the same as Jerry. So this is equal opportunity. We're going to diss a man and a woman equally right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're for the same audience. It's like lowest common dom- denominator of basicness. Yes. You have some some level of involvement in the art world. You think it's cool. You, you know, yeah. And then it becomes, and then of course they try to turn it into a cult of personality. Yeah. Where actually nobody really gives a shit about either of them, or at least I certainly yeah. don't. Um, also, I'm sorry, but but taking one for the team. What is the team exactly? Well, yeah, that's the the language she used was just so outrageous. It's like I'm taking one for the team and up and offsetting your carbon footprint. It's like that doesn't Jesus. Um, can I Mike? Ju- can I just say uh, unrelated to that? I feel like I was. I'm just wondering if there was a, a heavy or pressure sort of put on people who went to freeze because, you know, tickets were so limited. Would you, as a collector, feel more pressure to buy something if you were able to get uh, access to the fair? <laughs> like, what was it like for the galleries, even? Because you know, every single person. I haven't so actually done any them. recon with people who had booths yet. Um, so I don't know. I feel like collectors probably who have, if they're friendly with the galleries, bought something out of goodwill unless it was something that they really, really were dying to have. And I'm sure there was I a mean, bit of that. I mean, my understanding was that some uh, New York galleries, being that the shed is so close to Chelsea, essentially created uh an extension of their booth at the fair at their gallery location which makes perfect sense and there's less of a uh you know capacity limit yeah well also like if you're a local gallery really what's the point this year i don't know people can easily go to your gallery without the restrictions of like needing a pcr test or being fully vaccinated Right. They can just easily slide into your, you know, very prestigious, a well-known gallery. It's not like some massive discoveries being made. Oh, and by the way, let me shout out uh, our Bible, Artnet News, which is no oh my longer God, now our, our Bible. No, no longer free. Yeah, paywalled. Yeah. Um, paywalled. Like I was. <laughs> thanks, it, Nate Freeman. Yeah, and it's not even just like across the board paywalled. It's paywalled in the most offensive and like humiliating way. It's the actual actually interesting stuff that's paywall it's like the gossip and the juice yeah um, i mean and I also, guess i'll take one for the team and just say now i'll be the one who buys it i mean i would have also done that i'm pretty generous with subscriptions to like news sources and stuff like that but like it's 25 dollars a month no, just for crazy. like two yeah just for two columns that they paywalled basically yeah. the rest of the stuff is still available but nate freeman's column and another one has have been paywalled now and so like you can't even see the the like tea behind the scenes from the like the art fair like what sandwich shop was chloe 70 at this week i won't know anymore yeah so if you just fork over 25 dollars 25 that's obscene yeah because you have to get like a lot you need to get like artnet pro basically to read it yeah david that's why i was wondering when you said okay i'll, I'll take one for the team i'll pay i was like are you sure you want to pay 25 dollars a month we well, should get it for free 
I still have someone else's login for Artnet Premium, so I'll just forward you the text. Okay. But where's our press credentials? Hello. Yeah, but also, like, I'm sorry, we constantly reference Artnet News. Like, we are directing traffic to them. Yeah. Hello. I mean, I'll talk to Nate. You know, he and also, I are regulars at a certain Times Square establishment. Also, mm-hmm. um, if you can talk to him and ask where my wet paint hat is, because I've not received a follow-up. Oh, because you won. I won, finally. <laughs> Maybe you could convert it into a subscription. <laughs> I want the hat and the subscription and a tote bag. Well, anyway, just looking at what's sold to indicate that truly nothing has changed this past year. George George Kondo sold for uh, $2 million. Rashid Johnson, $650,000. Paul McCarthy, uh, half a million. Lorna Simpson, David's favorite, $350,000, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? I wonder if anything by Julie Meritu sold. (laughs) Okay. I'm sure there wasn't even anything there. David, can you please... I don't know what you have to do, but just add a zero to me and Amir's lives. How do we do that? How do we get to that level? <laughs> I don't. How know. do we buy like Hamptons homes? <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. My work I... needs two. My work needs two zeros added. Oh no, <laughs> I need no. I need three zeros. <laughs> you think if I knew, I'd be in that little dinky space on Henry Street? <laughs> oh, I You're thought doing that was well. Just... You're in New York. You have a gallery in Manhattan. Like well, I, I thought know, that was but just... I don't know how to add a zero. <laughs> I thought that was just like poverty chic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's poverty chic. Um, I don't know how to... I mean, what? Do you want to get to six figures? Uh, yes. Hello, actually, yeah. yes. <laughs> I mean, no, I know. Question? I mean, so do I. Like, I, I want to lease a new car. I want to buy an apartment. I... I have never sold a primary work in six figures. I've sold one... Uh, I've sold one, P, one work independently in my life for six figures... Oh wow! To a New York mayor, mayoral candidate who will not be named. Ooh, um, bitch! <laughs> and that was my, you know, at my nadir of my former gallery life and thinking about working for a crash and burn dealer who shall not be named oh uh, in Los Angeles. That was my test of being able to continue. Working independently, oh and then I passed it. But uh, no, I mean, the, I have not. I haven't reached that level. The most expensive what? primary thing I ever sold was like 50K. At your gallery? Yeah. That's good, though. Yeah, it was great. But Because, that, I mean, you're not showing like blue chip artists. Like they're kind yeah, of earlier I mean, in their the, career. This was so an 50K older artist. is amazing. Yeah. This was an established artist with oh, museum okay. stuff and all that. Oh, okay. No, but I mean, Shamak, really I have a question for you. 50K in New York, what would that be sort of uh, comparable to in in Berlin? Like who, at what level do you sell for 50K in Berlin? I'm just wondering if uh, 50K is worth as much as it does in New York as it does in Berlin. I mean, like what level of artist do you have to be to sell 50K in Berlin? Yeah, I'm just wondering if, if you're a sort of a higher, more established Oh, yeah. I think if you're showing with like, you know, like Koenig or um, Sprutmagers, like these kinds of galleries, Buchholz, you know, those are like artists selling like 50K and up. Uh I don't. But like 50K is really good no matter where you are. 
Right. But especially when it's like a justified 50K, not like these, you know, like some random painter who like hasn't had shows selling 50K out of their studio. And you're like, why are these so expensive? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, by the way, David, uh, I'm seeing that Pace sold uh, Lowy Hallowell for a quarter million, which oh, you, you you notably shouted out a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, sort of being aghast at this meteoric uh, price uh, price hike overnight. And it seems uh, pretty sustainable because here we are, like, what, three years later or so, and it still sells for for this much? Well, good for them. Good for her. Buy a house. Mm-hmm. Praying for her. Um, <laughs> no, you're not need here, to pray for her. <laughs> yeah. And here I am. You know, I just wanted to say I'm really sleepy today, so I apologize if I'm lackluster. Um, but I was up till 3 a.m. speculating on volatile cryptocurrencies with uh, Brother of the Pod Bart. <laughs> Buying Shiba Inu coin and... <laughs> Everybody's doing it these days. I have no idea how else I'm going to have financial security in this lifetime. I mean, what what is even what is even financial security? Like, I would love to buy a home. I mean, I have this house in the countryside, but I mean that costs as much as like a Geo Metro. Um, (laughs) No, I would like to buy an apartment in Berlin one day and not worry about it. And not mm-hmm. worry about like being evicted because they're gonna like renovate the building or something, right? And you know, like I'm very fortunate that as an artist, I get to like live off my work, and I'm not like in poverty, but I'm not financially secure, and I can't like buy an apartment. So I just I mean, want to get to the next step. The next level. Well, David, let's put you on the spot. What would be your advice for a, an emerging or upcoming artist in terms of financial sustainability? Jesus. Uh, I don't have an answer for you on that. I'm sorry. Spill it. <laughs> uh, talk to your dad. I, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> My parents just gave me $70 farewell uh, gift as I was leaving Israel. (laughs) Um, Well, um, I had a few questions. So can I get to those? Maybe that'll unfurl uh, David's... What's that plant called again? Artichoke. Chest curls. (laughs) His artichoke (laughs) heart will open. (laughs) Um, We had some listener questions. Uh, David, how yes. can I, as a young unknown artist, connect with a dealer or curators, especially if I don't know anyone? It's a very good question. Uh, you meet people. You make yourself know people. Uh, so how can you do that? Let's say you move to New York. You don't know anyone, or anyone you know is like not related to the arts. Or what if you're a wallflower like me? But this is exactly what you did, Amir. You just what's that? That's that's exactly what you did. You just came into my gallery and was like, "Can we talk?" And I was like, "Do I know you?" And in my head, I was like, "Does he want to sleep with me?" And then, <laughs> and this has happened to me on multiple occasions, and it works. I mean, but it, didn't you guys know each other? Didn't you have like a mutual friend or something? I don't think so. 
I remember thinking, I remember you coming in when I first opened Fearman and I, you know, I never remember who I have met and who I don't meet, who I haven't met because I meet a lot of people and drink too much. <laughs> so I just I lead from a, know. yes, I lead from a point of, oh yeah, it's great to see you. Great to hear from you because I don't want to be the person who says, oh yeah, nice to meet you. And the other person says we've met five times. Uh, mm. But so I'm always wondering when someone, you DM'd me or something and was like, I'd love to come chat with you in the gallery. I was like, oh, who is this Gooberstein, which I was calling you at that point. It sounds so unlike me. But that's what you did. <laughs> and then you came in and we chatted and then it just became friends. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And then like three years later, you had a show. And But I think that's the way to do it. It's like you have to make an effort to get to know people and if you if it's someone that you actually want to show with then it means you probably have some affinity with what you what they're showing so yeah. you go to their openings and you talk and you are not obtrusive but you just show up and then I'll, at some point you ask to do a studio visit and most of the time i mean if for someone like me i would say most of the time when that has happened i say yes and then do a studio visit and not necessarily that, show the work, but can also recommend other people. But don't you think that, to a certain extent, sort of proliferates the problem with a lot of bad art being shown these days? Because it's sort of born out of personal connections or like fun friendships between artists and dealers, but it doesn't necessarily is backed by the art being good, only the relationship being sort of solid or interesting or... No, because I have plenty of people that I have become friends with that I don't show. Uh-huh. I mean, I think there's ways you can get around it of politely declining to show I someone's just, work I, and remaining friends with them. I mean, especially in New York in the downtown scene, I see so many shows that are basically uh, you Trash. Know, a fr- friend <laughs> referral. <laughs> I mean, yes, that certainly happens. I don't know that that's I mean I can only speak from my perspective and when I've met people in this way through other friends or mostly I mean when I meet people like this it's through some kind of solicitation and I don't necessarily mean that in the in a sexual way but uh Many, it, cause, but it took honestly, it took me a while to figure it out that it was I was not a it was not a sexual advance, and I would always be kind mm-hmm. of disappointed, particularly <laughs> when it would be these kind of flirty, hot, straight guys, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'd be like, oh, I get it. You really don't want to do it with me. You just want me to do a studio visit. Um, you just want me for my clout. Just take one for the team. God. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But no, I mean, I'm not going to be another person who I won't name. Um, but, you know, so it's not that hard to do a studio visit with someone that you find some kind of personal affinity with, even if you just think the person's funny, and then not show their work. Yeah. But you okay. can meet people, and if you do indeed like their work, then I mean, because also, I mean, also with Amir, it took three years of looking at your work to see a body of work that I really wanted to do a solo show with. And I mean, I wasn't actively pushing, or like, I honestly didn't have like a proactive solicitation sort of uh, motive. 
in mine as you know oh, just please. starting a, a friendship no i mean uh, honestly no <laughs> the in, this, in this worked yeah exactly my <laughs> long game <laughs> um flattery gets you everywhere with me baby well yeah, take that, sure, take like, that we, the listeners flatter me I think the three of us understand the sort of the the problems with a thirsty approach. That's why neither of us lives that life. Yeah. Well, but you can do an approach. You can approach without being thirsty. I you can do like a, a low general, key. You know. Yeah. I mean, but I there's ways to general... approach that's, that, that are not thirsty. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. I wanted to bring up something. So there's this long unspoken rule in the art world where it's like, you know, don't send unsolicited material. Don't like cold call. Don't blah, 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 blah. Um, do you think that should change? Do you think maybe you would discover new interesting things if that wasn't frowned upon? If someone just sent you like a, a printout of 10 pages? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it maybe it would. Uh, I do. I mean, I guess it's kind of a now it's just this kind of self-reflective circle where or self-fulfilling circle where only people who don't know that that's frowned upon send it and they tend to be the people yeah. who really have no idea what they're doing um yeah. and so it's just it is always bad and it's gotten even worse with the advent of the dm where people just dm you 15 pictures and say look at yeah. my work and it's like no bitch look at my work yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> but I do think that, why not? I mean, I don't mind. I was frankly, for example, I was disappointed when the White Columns Artist Registry stopped being an active thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that was something that I did. It was, you know, it was curated in a sense that it was like you had to be approved. You would apply, you would send your thing in and then White Columns had to approve it. So there was some sort of vetting. Yeah. But you could really spend... I mean, I remember I went through the the entire thing right before I opened my first gallery. I went through like most of the entire thing incredibly high on Vicodin after I when I was recuperating from getting my wisdom teeth taken out. And I made some really interesting choices of people to do studio visits with that I afterwards was like, oh, my God, that's because I was high. And then, but other one person, I, I met Kelly Jazvac that way, who I have been working with for a decade and was in the first oh. show at my other not-to-be-named gallery. And, you know, now this work, year her work is in the MoMA. And so that was from the White Columns Artist Registry. And so that's something that I do think w- is more useful and I think is now more frowned upon because there's so many of those things, like the Saatchi one and the whatever and the whatever. And... I thought that was a good way to, for people to just be able to browse. And then if I was interested, I could contact people. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for that kind of compendium. Let's bring back of, the uh, database. Let's do a thoughts on art curated registry. Yeah, let's do it. People I have mean, to pay $50, $25 a month to be in it. and <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a scam, which I mean, I'm here for. <laughs> Um, I mean, no, honestly, I, mean, I don't such, actually hate this idea, but I mean, there's such an ingrained sort of power dynamic that has to do with the, you know, the, the, the financial might that's involved in this industry that I think gallery owners, correct me if I'm wrong, would like to 
feel like they made this sort of first approach uh, that they sort of have the upper hand in that scenario rather than... Um, I don't know, know somebody... because it's it's a give and take. It's a total give and take because artists... Yeah, yeah no, I mean... As soon as an artist gets some modicum of, I mean, and this is not to be a jerk to artists, but as soon as some artists get a modicum of sales and commercial and critical success, they'll, they'll play power games. And right. jump ship. And jump ship or not commit. And, you know, I had a friend recently who had a sold out show as a dealer with the artist and it was their first time working together. And my friend approached the artist and said, why don't we clearly this is going well. And the artist was like, well, you know, I just want to keep my options open. Mm -hmm. And I mean, which kind of sucks if you're emerging or just trying to get your foot in the door, because uh, I'm sure it'll resonate with a lot of up and coming underrepresented artists out there that in this business, you truly don't matter until you matter. Yeah. I mean, that's everything in the world. Yeah. But some dealers are very hawkish and restrictive. And so it's like, you know, you haven't even done a show. And it's like, I need to sign you to an exclusive agreement to blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't even know you. We haven't worked together. No, I'm not advocating you know, for that. No, I'm, just, I'm not saying you are or that you're that person. But I'm saying that there is also a lot of that happening in the art world where it's like, everyone just needs to chill out and just like, how can we make this a good relationship for everyone involved but well, yes, my question yes. my question also is like how do you know as an artist that someone's actually as a, as a successful or turning successful artist if someone's actually interested in your work or if they're just interested in the wave you're riding on at the moment uh i don't really know that you can know unless yeah. you really can suss unless you have a keen understanding of people's minds and you can read people well Mm-hmm. And I, I guess mean, you, you ju- I guess you just had to have uh, experienced uh, sitting on the sidelines and experienced a, a long stretch of an- anonymity to sort of truly understand what it's like to want to make it in this business. So, well, a lot of it is about the wave, though. It's like the context of the situation, because we know a lot of people. It's like uh, their work's ignored. Then once things start burning up and being hot, everyone comes knocking at the door. It's like, well, where were you before? Well, and I know from my end, like there are people that I showed 10 years ago that are now hot as shit. And, you know, somebody wanted fucking MacArthur. And I'm like, really? I never (laughs) thought this work was that interesting, but I just, you know, (laughs) someone else wanted to give it a show. And, uh, it's the same thing. It's, you know, and I've talked to the dealer. I mean, I have always remembered this talking to a dealer who shall not be named about an artist who shall not be named that I showed in 2013. And said dealer looked at the work and was like, you know, he really just doesn't have it. And this is someone who they knew each other personally. And now big, big shows, six figures. <laughs> well, are, is the art good? No. Okay. Can you reveal this after our recording session? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's already revealed it to us, I believe, if I remember correctly. (laughs) Yeah, I'll confirm. Okay. We'll do it. This will be on the OnlyFans. I'll, like, you know, I did some nude posing (laughs) earlier last week, and so (laughs) the OnlyFans will be, like, 
me posing naked and saying the names that I'm not naming. <laughs> Did you pose in the nude for an abstract painting? Uh, I posed in the nude for uh, Wayne Kostenbaum, who is a charming devil and, you know, talks to you in the most eloquent way possible while you're posing. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's fun. Well, and then makes little well, uh, abstract doodles out of your his drawings. You can so, see them on Instagram. Sounds like the way I want my... Uh, Sounds like the way I want my private parts described as doodles. <laughs> <laughs> well, well so, speaking of abstract work, uh, just before <laughs> I left to Israel a, a week and a half ago, I happened to be in the neighborhood because I'm a So House member again. Thanks uh, to you very much, David. My pleasure. I haven't gotten uh, my fucking g- feedback from those people yet, but yes. You should. Ju- you just need to download the app and like put in your information and it like uh, updates it automatically. Okay, anyway, thank you. Um, I went to the sew house in the meatpacking district on a rainy afternoon and, uh, I was like, okay, had my coffee, had my three cookies and, uh, I'm in the neighborhood. I might as well go see the show. I was a, uh, I was resolved to not see the Julie Meritu show at the Whitney, (laughs) but I was like, what the hell? I may, I, uh, I booked a, a slot to see it and I went to see it. And uh, kept you abreast live while I was visiting the show. Um, and I also sent you some wall texts that I found pretty pretentious, to say the least. Um, and uh, should we describe the work to our listeners who uh, don't know Julie's work? What do you say? I mean, are there listeners who don't know Julie Moretto's work? But yes, we can gladly. Okay, so uh, for uh, reading it from the Whitney's website, for more than two decades, Julie Meritu, born in uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, had been engaged in deep in a deep exploration of painting. She creates new forms and finds unexpected resonances by drawing from the histories of art and human civilization, from Babylonian stelae. What's that word? Stelae. So, oh, stelae. Yeah. Is that like Stella? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's it's, a, it's, Al it's like a block that has a yes, it has text like cuneiform. So it's like a cuneiform. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Whitney. Now I feel even dumber. <laughs> I need to look up a word. Um, from European history painting to the sites and symbols of African liberation movements, some of Meritu's imagery and titles hint at their representational origins, but her work remains steadfastly abstract. So uh, Julie Meritu uh, makes wall size allegedly abstract paintings that uh, well how big is your wall is it a church is it goldman sachs is it a mansion i, I have mean, some little yeah. walls i'm just, I'm yeah, just playing yeah my walls are little too but what like gargantuan walls. yes oh, I, I have big I know. walls <laughs> um and how how would you describe this sort of general vibe and aesthetics of her abstractions because to me they i i joked and said that they look like like ambient techno uh ob- album art cover from well, like they berlin do. in like and the I mean, late 90s well that's the thing i mean i the you know she rose to prominence around 2000 which is in my mind culturally and aesthetically a very questionable time uh how so in this it's just you know it was this whole wave of like I'm looking at the webs I'm looking at the Whitney site and I'm looking at 
this painting Stadia from 2004. And people obsessed with the data and networks. Yes, yeah, sure. and about globalism and about expanding spaces and about this idea of the like the global network and I mean at the stadium one it kind of looks like Madison Square Garden with the flags coming down the top but it also kind of is I know it's modeled after like the UN General Assembly kind of vibe and it's just this idea of like we're all connected in this global thing and I think that that was where that was very much of the moment in the early 2000s. And then I think we all quickly gleaned that we're actually not all together and we're not all connected and everyone is pretty atomized and everything is very kind of culturally idiosyncratic and not there's not cohesion in a sense. Um, the global uh, how- village did not happen. Yes. But uh, how is it evident in the work? Because if you look at her paintings, they're extremely intricate sort of doodles. And I mean, look like, at this Stadia look... 2 painting on the website. It's got these swirly lines. It's got a kind of centrifugal energy. It has all these flag-like shapes around the top. It's just It's totally this idea of swirling globalism, which is exactly what you're thinking about, about like Berlin techno music in the late 90s. Yeah. That's the way I feel. I, there's just, they're so intricate. Like, there's such an overkill sort of aesthetic aspect to them that doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. I mean, I think we're talking oh. about two different things here. You're talking about the formal quality of them, and I'm talking about the kind of the signification of her marks. Mark making. Everybody loves talking about mark making, but. Her work is right. very much about mark making. And I think that the, you know, and the, you know, this is, I know that's something that you took issue with is that why, and with the wall text and with the Whitney show is why does abstract painting have to always be discussed about in something. terms of, well, not even about something, but it has to, you have to, the marks have to become a kind of lexicon that right. you can. Uh, that then we can kind of make legible by knowing what the person says about them, which often is related to the title of the work. And in her case is often, I mean, at least recently, and this is the part where for me, it really falls off the rails, uh, compounded by the infamous large uh, Goldman Sachs debacle, (laughs) which we don't have, which we'll touch on. But, you know, I'm looking at another painting, Conjured Parts I, Ferguson. And she... uh, she then she goes from the the way that the, I think the way that she changes the content kind of morphing with the political times is that it goes from this idea of interconnectedness and you know I'm I grew up in Ethiopia and then I was in Michigan and then I was in Berlin and I you know we just all are just part of this global world of free floating people and then they all become tied I- to these specific mostly American, or at least this show in 2016. I remember Marion Goodman was all these uh, sites of American racial brutality. I mean, this one is called Ferguson. Um, and I mean, that's, that's, all, that's all fine, and the story is compelling, and the narrative and everything. It's just that like, I'm more basic than that. I view the work, I'm a spectator, and I either don't see it in the work, in the aesthetics, and the sort of mark-making language, or alternatively i don't want to see it i personally sort of 
reject the premise that abstract work has to be so hermetically sealed in its own universe with its own, as you said, lexicon and the sense that it makes. Like to me, it sort of debilitates my capacity to view it when it's so over-explained. Yeah, um, I mean, the work is completely overdetermined. Like, there's nothing. Uh, I would say I'm, there's nothing sensual about the work at all. Uh, and I also don't think that it's particularly visually interesting. Um, yeah, same. But I think that we're kind of in the minority. I mean, but I don't know. Maybe people are more. I mean, but I guess people are very interested in the in the theoretical political intent behind it, which you know, when you factor in the commercial element, for me, makes it a bit cynical. Yeah. I mean, I will say I do applaud any sort of giving focus to something that's not uh, figuratively dumb, uh, pop art derivative, et cetera, et cetera, or related to sneakers. And so I, I do applaud this show <laughs> just based on these birds. <laughs> or an NFT show. They is, could have just done an very... NFT show right now. I will yeah. say also this is just another – this is a really hard argu- – this is just a really hard argument to have about – painting in general in 2021 you know it's like i was been working with a kind of crotchety old queen in his 60s the past couple weeks who feels he hasn't received his due and is looking at younger abstract painting that he knows sells for a lot of money let's put it in our six-figure number and it's like what's the point of this? What's the point of this? Is this abstract, abstract expressionism? Like, what's the point of this? And right. I don't actually have an answer. I mean, my, and my answer for him is like, well, people want to buy abstract painting because they like living with it. And mm-hmm. I don't know that there's what, the, I don't know what the intent behind it is or if there is, if it's pure abstraction and they can't afford abstract expressionism so they can afford this. Right. And it's just a junior level commodity in the higher tier. And so it's just, it's hard to figure out in any way abstraction figuration conceptual abstraction i guess is where i would land julie moretto uh but i mean you you said it with the sort of the central aspect sort of lacking in her work like when you see the work up close the works up close they're very flat and they kind of resemble laura owens's sort of silk silk screen print sort of process and they photograph very impressively, and when you drive down the West Side Highway and you pass the uh, Goldman Sachs building, <laughs> it looks like something you'd like to approach and see in person because it's so big and impressive. But like when you actually see the works hanging in a museum setting, the flatness is, to me, a deal-breaker, basically. Yeah, and that's another thing that we've been contending with in contemporary painting is i mean remember the ultra flat or flatland show or ultra flat was the murakami one the flatland show at the whitney a couple years ago that was all figurative where it just Mm -hmm. all resembles uh i mean it's the same it's when you had the zombie figuration thing and emily may smith got pissed at you it's like it's all this painting that looks (laughs) (laughs) sorry to be bold about it thank you for out rather uh (laughs) but uh you know it's work that's really legible on a screen or uh, from a distance it's work that looks like it would be in an airport lobby or at the headquarters of one of the world's biggest and as such dirtiest banks in the world mm-hmm. yeah it's well, so you, you, said it, 
you said at airport and it looks her work actually just looks like brian eno's like could be music for airports <laughs> yeah album, but i really think that's the time art. that it comes out of it i think it's this like kind of gen x early 2000s thing where they're like we're free floating we're, we're not tied to family we're queer we're this we're that we're multinational we're living between berlin soft butch and- <laughs> soft butch it's actually hard butch <laughs> hard-edged butch although i know some butches who would who would be who would scoff um but no, it's, but it's completely wait, out of that time where I feel like they loved the, like the concept of the airport was even a thing of this like people th- remember all that fucking like <laughs> Francesco Joe learned about airports and, in the year like, two thousand. What was the God who like Rem Koolhaas, All those people in the early in like yeah. the late nineties, early two thousands who were like waxing poetic about the airport as a liminal space and this whole thing. And it's like yes, we I get mean, it. The, excuse me, the airport is a liminal space. Well, I know that, but. <laughs> The idea of like really needing to talk about it as such without understanding the fact that airports mean different things to different people, I think yeah. is really, that's the part that is something for me. It's like some people never go to airports. Some people only go to airports as refugees. Some people only go to airports, to, but some people are constantly on a plane every other week to go to a new international biennial in Korea or Sao Paulo or wherever the fuck they're going. But and here's here's the, here's the <laughs> quandrum because... Uh, I, I feel like we're, we're talking about work and how it sort of uh, responds to this or that sort of cultural or political events. And then at the same time, our previous topic was Freeze New York. And I was complaining, lamenting the fact that it seemed like nothing had changed. They Everybody was just yearning to basically skip this past year, just continue with things as they are. And that seems to me the ultimate either non-response or perhaps this is the new response in art in the art world to basically not respond to the actual things that happen. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, I don't know. I'm sorry if I'm monopolizing, but I feel like this is, it's the exact same thing I was saying, but this is what the gatekeepers are, they want to keep the gate closed. And I'm not, I don't fully know what is knocking at the gate. And I certainly hope it's not Kenny Schachter and NFTs, but (laughs) there must be something. And it's like an only, only, and then they're, they're desperate to assimilate the, the young stuff that they can they can understand into into the what is acceptable like the entirety of Almin Resch's program of bad young painting and <laughs> but you listen heard to your first <laughs> yeah. and, I mean you know, I ask this, yes but so I, I, I ask just, the same I asked the same thing to Pashama last time we recorded. What would you consider to a an appropriate sort of artistic response? to the events of the past year, either both on a you know personal level or on a more global kind of politically aware level. Because it feels like the all the all the not all, but some of the exhibi- exhibitions we've seen from the bigger galleries this past year were just like a uh, an iteration, basically the same work only presented to us as sort of quarantine body of work or this and that, like uh you know, lockdown work, whatever. What would you consider an appropriate artistic response to the past year? What would you like to see, I guess, is the question. Um, you have me uncharacteristically quiet because I don't have an answer yet. Um, I just, I find it so depressing that we've experienced something so extreme, so big this past year, and the best thing that could be forked over is just sort of a a PR branding of the exact same work only in sort of different words. 
Yeah, with a new wrapper around it. Yeah. I'm struggling to answer this question because I'm fighting against my own instinct of self-promotion. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what would you like what would you like to see in a big art fair setting, I guess? Not for how, them to how happen, would you like, how, not to go no, to one. I mean, um, no, no, but like, how would you how would you like to see the the landscape change in terms of uh, you know the stuff? For example, figurative work was dealing with these past like six years. How would you like to see the needle sort of move in that sort of genre or medium? Uh, I mean, without making the obvious, you know, ask that gay figuration would start sort of withering at the vine. <laughs> You know, I'm just going to do the self-promotion thing that I'm not wanting to do out of pride, but it is actually the answer I want to give is that over during COVID, I did a uh, like online show with Dapper Bruce Lafitte, who is a self-taught artist from New Orleans that I rep- that I represent. And mm-hmm. it was, he makes these incredibly... Uh, I hate to use the word poignant because it's so condescending. Uh, they have a, they're incredibly immediate representations of like crowd scenes and political life in, uh, in New Orleans and from his socioeconomic and cultural perspective. And it got, you know, it was, I really loved it. And then also uh, Johanna Fateman picked it as a, one of her top things of the year because of the immediacy. And this is sort of what she thought we needed to be looking at now. And I love La Tigra. I mean, yeah. Also, when Johanna Fateman says nice things about me and talks to me in my gallery, I feel like a cool <laughs> 19-year-old again. Um, <laughs> but I would like to see something more real. That's all. I mean... That's a weird word to use, but that's the, what that work is. It's incredibly intimate and a different perspective than looking at like some cool figuration of, I don't know, couples or whatever, or whatever. I don't want to name names. Some rich kids friends on the Lower East Side. Yes. No names mentioned. Because I've I, that's, mentioned that's her That's what enough. we don't need to see. And it just feels like, you know, look at somebody else's work. I mean, I was yeah. really excited, frankly, that uh, that Otis Houston Jr. was at Freeze with Gordon Robichaux. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that work is really incredible. And as a you know lifelong New Yorker, having seen his installations, you know his rene- his kind of renegade installations on the FDR Drive for since I was a kid, mm-hmm. I'm really really excited to see that in an art context. And I think that that's really something that. That's what I liked to see. I mean, liked was at Freeze. I like that yep. that is kind of being integrated into the market. I mean, the if we're talking about the freedom and justice thing, my main question is like, yes, but what did you give them? Like, how much money did you give them? Mm-hmm. Because Sarah Lewis is an incredible human being and a genius. And so if she can work it out that Freeze forks over a bunch of money to her organization, like, I have no problem with it. But... That's the only real question I have. Like, obviously, Freeze is doing it for PR purposes, and that's fine if you give them money. Uh, And I truly have no knowledge of the financial arrangement. And if it was really just, I can't, and I cannot imagine having briefly known Sarah a million years ago that she would have just done it as a tribute to her vanity. 
and that she clearly got a big check, I'm hoping. Uh, and I, I'm just referencing this because I know that the Otis Houston work was part of that that section of the fair. And I think there's just an I mean, immediacy uh, of other voices that we need to integrate. And I just I, I feel like the current moment is more of a liability on creativity rather than sort of a boon for a uh, aesthetic and other creative expressions because I'm seeing a lot of people's work that are just filled with good intentions and you know their hearts are in the right place politically and with the right sort of intent to make uh, this and that social justice change but like just purely on an aesthetic level I'm not not feeling this moment I um, there's this unrelated sort of there's a saying in Hebrew that basically when uh, the cannons are roaring, uh, creativity dies, or sort of is uh, put on pause. Um, sort of, it tries to say that, like, you, sh- you should let sort of the moment of crisis pass before you attempt to analyze it or sort of make sense of it uh, creatively or intellectually. Um, I mean, I agree probably what will happen with uh, the pandemic. Yeah. We're still I, kind also, of in the midst of it. I mean, just when I thought I could not possibly see any more of his work or that there's more to see, I went to the Tel Aviv Museum of Contemporary Art and I saw the Calder show there. Just because there was nothing else to do, I was like, okay, I'm going to see it. I'll probably see the same old stuff. But turns out he was an amazing... Uh, I wouldn't call him a painter, but there's just a beautiful series of, of a, uh, prints and works uh, works on paper that they have on, a, um, on display there. And also this beautiful documentary that sort of tells his story in essentially trying to get his foot in the door in Paris uh, back in the last century and his travails and sort of all his disappointments and really trying to make a career for himself. It was kind of nice to see it sort of retrospectively to see how somebody who's so huge and, you know, established and institutionalized at this point was just like us back in the day. (laughs) Alexander Calder, just like us. Yep. A nice walk away from New England. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> um, but Pshemek, you are totally the next Calder. I'm sure in 80 years from now, Pshemek Pishik's work will be uh, at, the, at the same level. From from the shtetl to the city. <laughs> from, from this Jew's mouth to God's ears. Thank you. <laughs> the boy from Bialystok. Oh, that's me. The Bialy um, from Bialy. <laughs> wait, so Pshemek, what's coming up for you? Um, Tell us more. Wait, I have two more questions for David. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Can, can we just do that? Yeah. That's okay. Okay, they're related because um, friend and fan of the pod, Ben Grubner, um, he had a question, and then there was another question that's similar, but let's ask his first. Um, so... It's for David as a gallerist. Um, ben says, like, I'm a barely employed bitch without rich family and only so many rich friends. How does one actually this is open that, a gallery? That, young, that, young, that youngster? Yeah, he's a youngster. Since yes, we're I've met him in person. Yes, I know. Okay, him. I've never met him. But he said, do I try and represent NFT artists? LOL, I don't want to. But basically, what's your advice for like someone who wants to start in the biz like open a gallery but they yeah don't come home well with or anything uh you find someone who you could borrow money from 
And that's, I mean, that's the one question who you, who can be framed as an investor and you figure out some kind of profit sharing situation. But, uh, if the question is, do I represent NFT artists? I have no idea. I really have no idea. Like I know, I mean, it's not about that. Oh, did he say that or no? No, no, no. Like he's like, should I represent NFT artists? It's like, uh, well, my advice is a joke. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. Like, do you think he should, for example, work at a gallery first? Yeah, of course. That's the only way you're going to meet someone who's going to invest in you. Yeah. Yeah. And if gain experience. To, yeah, you gain experience. I mean, you can't just go. I mean, unless you're really rich, you can't just go in and start a gallery because you don't know rich people and you don't have money. So you and have also to work you don't in even galleries. Know who to hire because you're well, not yeah. going to do everything. No, and you. So you need to work in galleries and figure out all the logistical sides of it, and then you make friends with another with a person who has money and you either they become a good client of yours and they want to support you because they like buying from you or you become close with them in some other way and i mean that sounded really nefarious but i didn't mean sexually that's, but it could be fine um countess uh, luanne <laughs> desleceps <laughs> uh yeah you just have to meet people and borrow money from them okay that's so how the you start second- a gallery Okay, that great feedback. Uh, so the second kind of uh, adjacent question, what advice would you give to someone who doesn't come from a wealthy family, isn't from New York or LA or one of these major art centers and wants to be an artist? Let's say they're like 18 years old. What should do they do? Do cool artist projects in your city in a weird space that costs no money and put it all over the internet. Do you think they should go to a school where they're going to get $200,000 in debt? No. God, no. No, not at all. Go to a public university, get a BFA, and the whole time do a bunch of weird shit with your friends and do artist-run shows and get them on the internet and see what happens. There you have it, people. Just keep making... Just don't rely on tr- the traditional structures of the MFA and whatever, and or even having to be in a major city. Like, yeah, just that's the that's the good thing about the internet is, and then be really proactive about it. Like, if some twenty-two-year-old wrote me and was like, "I just did this cool project. I'm this cute twenty-two-year-old. I'm in Milwaukee or whatever," I would look at I it. Love Milwaukee. Yeah, but David, let me push back on that. Like, I suspect that if I had moved to Israel now, and it completely, you know, lost all my all my network here, it would have I would have set myself back like a good amount just by trying to like start things up again for me in a complete different place where sh- transport costs are through the roof. Well, but that wasn't really the question, though. No, that but was... I mean, is it is it viable to truly live that far from the uh, from the center? I think it's viable to start stuff that far from the center. Uh-huh. I think it's viable. I mean, people are doing things in Athens, Georgia. People are doing things in Ra- like all these little places, and I think it can work. And I think, I mean, also knowing from being on the NADA membership board, I don't know if I'm speaking, whatever. Um, whenever we see a cool thing from a small place that is not in New York, or LA or Berlin or whatever, and clearly has just like a lot of cool, youthful energy to it. And some of the stuff, there is enough of it. I mean, obviously there's going to be crap and some of it is cool enough. That's like people who we give a pass to and we're like, yes, you should be a NADA member. And then that you build it that way. 
Yeah, that's do it true. where it's cheap, and then and then work your way in. Plus, I mean, especially if you're in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm not thinking that only expensive people in the to, states. Yeah, it's I mean, not that expensive to occasionally travel to New York and meet people and kind no. of build a network and. No, I mean, go to regular art school. Don't go to f- a private university, and do projects. Just do all the projects all the time. I don't know. I was. I had a. This is what I've been trying to tell all the young people that I talk to, which is not that many, but. I recently did a guest <laughs> lecture at a friend's SVA class, and this is what I just kept telling you. I was like, find an empty space, put on shows, do all the different weird things you can do because somebody's going to notice you. You know, That's like true. I did a weird thing at a gay bar in Crown Heights in 20, 2008 or something, and Andrea Scott wrote about it. And I was like, okay, that was cool. Work. And. You know, but that's all it takes is like one person. It's not saying that Andrea Scott is now my champion, but just takes it's confidence building. Yeah. Yeah. And you're always uh, it's you're gaining experience because you're always going to learn something through the process of organizing a show or making work for it and and even just dealing with the feedback. and, And also, I would say, particularly based just on personal experience, you have to take advantage of all the weird dips and moments in the culture where if for like for example I was uh in 2010 or something there was I did a big group show with my ex in this dilapidated convent in Williamsburg that <laughs> had been sold the land had been sold to a developer and then it fell out because of 2008 and you know, that got, it was in, I think, like, what's his face? Scott Interstick wrote about it, or somebody wrote about it. And then, so it's like, it's just, you keep adding legitimacy to things you do if people write about mm-hmm. them. And then a couple of weeks ago, I randomly was going over to someone's house, and it turns out, like, it was in this convent, which is now <laughs> luxury apartments. Mm-hmm. And so you, I just am using this as an example of like, okay, it's 2008. Nobody has any money for stuff or it's post COVID and there's all these empty spaces in downtowns, like figure out a way to put on shows and have it be, have pictures of it. And then it'll just, I mean, I'm just like, that's the, you can, you have to figure out those moments when they're happening. But also every every artist's success story is so unique that it's truly hard to, you know, make out patterns and generalize. Of course. Some, I'm uh, just, you know, I'm just some, I'm just speaking yeah, some from people's my... ascent, Yeah, some people's ascent is a uh, rapid, others is slow but steady, and others will never experience it. Yes, this is true. But it's all but true or plan, Amir. Indeed. Hashtags Today, for Hashem. Today's ne- episode name title. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the title? Hashem's plan. Hashem's plan. Hashemic pishcheck. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I think uh, we should wrap uh, it up. We're uh, it's uh, it's that time of uh, the day. <laughs> well, you guys were the highlight of my day. Same. My, I mean, I still have a whole... I mean, Amir, you still have a whole day ahead of you. Something great might happen. I mean, both of you True. do. True. Something yeah, better I might could, happen. I just, I just don't want to jinx it, so... Well, then why I would could, you say this is the highlight of your day? 
I just <laughs> jinxed it, I guess. I could meet my future <laughs> husband still today. Yeah, yeah I true. know. You're good. All right, fags. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're going to get us canceled. <laughs> we already have an E next to every episode <laughs> on all the platforms, so whatever. Also, I just added ourselves to... I just subscribed on Google Podcasts. Their interface is really nice. So oh, nice. we're available there as well. Check us out. Oh, wait. And we were also in like uh, a summation of the top pod- art podcasts of 2021 or something. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where was it? Let me look it up. Um, my brother mentioned it to me because I think he has multiple Google alerts set on me. <laughs> My brother's my uh, biggest fan. Thanks, Bart. <laughs> and my parents, too. I'm very fortunate. Oh, here. I found the article. Uh, we're on ar- the Artwork Archive. Uh, best Art Podcasts of 2021 were featured there. Their newsletter goes out to like uh, like a couple of maybe 100,000 people or something. So we're probably in a lot of people's spam box right now. <laughs> I love it there. But, yeah. Mm. Alrighty. Well, well thanks that was for nice. having me, boys. I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to guest star whenever you'd like. Thanks, Queen. You did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you next week. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. I don't use that word. 